And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Mark, it's great to have you with us. Good to be here, Dan. Well, I am looking at the calendar, and uh, this coming week is Thanksgiving. And it's, it's one of those things that, for me, it's kind of snuck up on me. And I can't believe Thanksgiving is almost here. So this now begins a very busy time of the year for for many families, as well as the broadcast ministry. And uh, give you one guess what we're going to talk about. And of course, it is Thanksgiving. But uh, we also want to fold in a lot of information about the Indians and Thanksgiving. So Mark, if we're ready to go... Well, have at it. Yes. Thanksgiving is really one of my favorite holidays, simply because for Christmas, the secular world has has pushed Santa Claus into it. And Easter, you've got the Easter bunny being pushed into it. They haven't really been able to do too much with Thanksgiving. It's pretty much, okay, here's the Thanksgiving. And, and of course, it's not that it's really Christian in terms of the secular world, they think of a big feast, the turkey, and even people, some people say Happy Turkey Day, which annoys me no end. But <laughs> anyhow, you know, I love turkey, but it's like, no, this is about thanking God. And, of course, they've distorted that in recent years and saying, well, the pilgrims had this to thank the Indians. Well, I'm sure it was to thank the Indians, too, but it was mostly to thank God. And that's the, that's the major focus. Mm. And the focus is on being thankful to God. The other thing that often gets talked about with this is, you know, why were the pilgrims here to begin with? Of course, the pilgrims were here ostensibly for religious freedom, and that's true in part. To understand Thanksgiving, to understand the Puritans, to understand uh, this whole dynamic, you have to understand who the Puritans were. There are two groups of Puritans. They were the separating Puritans. And the non-separating Puritans, the non-separating Puritans were those who looked at the Church of England and the Anglican Church at the time, and they said, you know, we want to reform this church. The separating Puritans, which the pilgrims were, were the ones who stood up there and said, this church really can't be reformed. We need to separate from it. Well... The Puritans, their existence at this time in early 17th century England, was very tenuous and difficult. Hmm. Uh, The king at the time was James I, and he had been, what, James VI of Scotland. And so when he took office, what is it, 1603, 1605, something like that, and then he had this, what was called the Hampton Court Conference, and the Puritans came and they thought, things are going to get really much better for us because this guy is from Scotland, <laughs> and we know that's where all the Presbyterians are. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to be very sympathetic. Boy, were they in for an awakening. <laughs> he was probably a closet Roman Catholic, if oh. truth be known. But So he gave them nothing at the uh, Hampton Court Conference except for the King James Bible, which for the, a lot of the Puritans, I've seen this interpreted different ways. One of it was that this was a bone for the Puritans. He, he'd shot him down in so many areas. This was a bone for him. I think he's kicking him in the teeth again because, in fact, mm-hmm. the Puritans already had their Bible. It was called the Geneva Bible. Mm-hmm, and right. it was a wonderful Bible. And, and uh, so the Puritans who came over here, 
1620, carried the 1599 edition of the Geneva Bible with them. Hmm. They came from Holland. They had left to go to Holland, but they weren't very happy in Holland because, uh, one, they had to work too hard. Two, they didn't want to lose their English culture and their children to lose that in the English language. And three, they just felt they didn't have time to worship God like they really wanted Hmm. to. They had freedom to do it, but they just, the circumstances weren't conducive. And so they came over to the New World. And of course, got blown off course, providentially by God. The Mayflower was supposed to land in Virginia, did not, Uh, was blown off course. And they, they landed at a spot that we call Plymouth Rock. And it was actually the site of what had formerly been a Pactuset Indian settlement. The problem was uh, that the, well, it wasn't a problem for them at this point. It was it was good for them. The Pactuset <laughs> Indians had all died of, of smallpox. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, so they, they settled there, and of course, uh, they're trying to get things established. It's fall. They felt they didn't have time to go down the coast to Virginia. So they had to settle quickly. And what happened was that uh, they were first greeted by an Abenaki Sagamore under chief by the name of Samoset. Samoset had done some work with the English, the fishermen. So he knew some English. Wasn't really, I wouldn't say terribly fluent in English, but he he could speak some English, and so that was really good. What he brought to them was a, another Indian, and uh, this Indian was a Patuxet Indian by the name of, we know him as, as Squanto. To Squantum was his mm-hmm. full name, but Squanto is what we, we know him. And he spoke very fluent English. God had used that providentially for that, and we don't know just exactly when Tisquantum was born, in 1585, give or take 10 years. In 1605, there was a British sea captain by the name of George Weymouth from England, and he actually, some people say that Squanto was kidnapped. Others say that he made the offer and Squanto just took him up on it to go back to England. And so Squanto was in England for nine years, the person he was under at that time had financed Weymouth's journey. And so he was very, uh, apparently had a good relationship with Squanto. But after nine years, Squanto wanted to head back. Sure. And so he returned back and he got in contact with a sea captain by the name of Thomas Hunt. And uh, he said, well, you know, you, you help me explore the, the seacoast, uh, the eastern seacoast here, and I'll get you back to your family. <laughs> well, Hunt was a sorry rascal. He betrayed uh, Squanto and uh, captured, I think, like 20 more of the Indians and sold them into slavery into Spain. Ah, uh, yes. Fortunately for Squanto, some of the monks got him released, and he stayed there for three years, worked his way back, got an expedition to Newfoundland. That wasn't getting him home. He went back to England, and he finally got home in about 1619. So this Squanto, uh, he's... Uh He's actually kind of a world traveler at this point. He he was definitely a I world traveler. I had no idea. That's that. very interesting. Yeah. And another thing you taught me is that 
these pilgrims that come over, actually their root is Puritanism. Right. Uh, but these are the yeah. separating uh, They're the group. separating brand, yes. Yeah. Well, that's all very interesting. Yeah. Now, uh, tell us more about this Squanto. So Squanto gets back in 1619, and of course, who shows up but the Puritans in 1620? And he is able to teach them, and he becomes their liaison. He is indispensable. William Bradford, who was uh, kind of the governor of the of the group, and then they had uh, their pastor was Pastor Brewster, William Brewster. They depended on Squanto a lot to, as a liaison, but also he taught them how to farm. And, of course, without them during that first year, the pilgrims would have starved. So that's why they were so dependent, really, upon Squanto and his fellow Indians. Yeah. Okay. And so they got them through the first year. Of course, after the first year, over half the pilgrims had died. Oh, dear. And so they're coming up on this, this time, which we call Thanksgiving, and the Puritans uh, had this celebration where they're bringing everyone uh, together to thank God. I mean, a lot of us today, if half the population of our area had died, we wouldn't be feeling so thankful. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> and, you know, this is um, children who died, yes. possibly husbands of families. Oh, uh, yes. This is a, a terrible hardship for the people. Half of the population wiped out. That's major. It is. It is. And But yet they realize God's hand in all of this and God's mercy because, of course, understand for the Puritan, and it should be for every Christian, home was not England. Home was not Holland. Home was not Massachusetts. Home is heaven. Mm-hmm. And so they're thankful because they're still in God's hand and they they know that they will make it to heaven. And so mm-hmm. we have Massasoit, who is the chief of this group of Indians, bringing together, and they had a feast for three days. Their Thanksgiving lasted three days. Probably not the same kind of stuff that we're eating. <laughs> I read one thing that said, <laughs> what were they eating? Meat, meat, and more meat. Is a, You know, they had some corn, obviously, some vegetables, uh, probably no bread like we have. What about um, fish and that sort of thing? But they had plenty of fish. Mm. They had the Indians brought five deer. So they had plenty of venison, fish, and waterfowl. Mm. And a lot of fowl. Um, we don't seem to... Realize, you know, when we look out at the area that we live in right now, and there's a lot of birds and there's a lot of waterfowl, and I watch them. Well, you're an avid bird watcher. Yes. But you know a lot about the birds. People <laughs> don't realize that. You're kind of a local bird expert, I think. I don't know about that. But anyhow, when we see a good flock of ducks and, and everything, you might see a good flock of black ducks that are 60 or 70, mm-hmm. uh, maybe mallards and things. These pilgrims are probably looking at flocks of thousands. Really? Yeah. The bird populations back then were probably considerably higher. And so it was very easy for them to hunt them. And they probably did get some turkeys, too. Mm -hmm. Probably good turkey populations and and a number of different animals, uh, you know, and birds. Mm -hmm. So there's plenty of, of meat at the feast there. And so that's what they had. Interestingly enough about Squanto, he actually died just about a year later. 
Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it was probably from smallpox. Uh-huh. William Bradford, I believe, stayed with him his last three days alive. He was uh, there was there's some intrigue going on with him, and he may have not been the most trustworthy individual. However, Bradford really took a liking to him, and he stayed with him uh, until he died. Oh, so yeah. Oh, that's kind of sad. So, it it is, but <laughs> yeah. the pilgrims, of course, uh, then grew, and they had more people that came, and their colony grew. And a few years later, they were able to return the favor to the Indians. The Indians came on okay. hard times, and the pilgrims had the wherewithal and the extra food to help them through a tough winter. Right. So now, uh, eventually, Thanksgiving would become a national holiday, right? Right. Yes. So that would have been later on in our Later history. on it, it was, and it was, I know under Abraham Lincoln, he made a, a proclamation. Actually, there were a number of Thanksgivings right. at different times of the year, and then it became a major holiday that we then was determined, what is it, the last Thursday in the month of November mm-hmm. or something like that. I guess it was George Washington, our first president, who proclaimed a day of Thanksgiving. He did, yes. Uh, back in 1789. Yeah. And as you're pointing out, Abraham Lincoln in 18, what, 63? Yeah. So uh, we've had this notion of Thanksgiving all through our nation's history. Right. And uh, it's Thanksgiving to God. Right. That's really simple stuff here. That's it. Yeah, it is Thanksgiving to God. And, of course, some of the effort was made to bring the Indians to faith, the Algonquin tribes in the New England area, uh, to bring them to faith. And then, of course, as uh, they expanded, uh, then uh, you got involved with New York and the Mohican tribes and then the Iroquoian tribes of New York course, and then the New Jersey area, the Lenny Lenape, or the Delaware Indian mm. tribes. So we have a lot of efforts going on. As the uh, pilgrims came, and the more Puritans came, one of them was a man by the name of John Elliott. And John Elliott not only worked diligently with the Indians, but he translated their language mm-hmm. and translated the Bible into this Algonquin language, and it was the first Bible printed Mm -hmm. in the New World in 1663. Now, something you said really caught my interest, and it was right on the money, and I want you to expand on that. These Puritans, um, they had their ultimate hope, which was in Christ, in the triune God of the Scriptures, we could say, and ultimately, their home in heaven. And that didn't stop them from attempting to obey the moral law of God right? and perhaps, as we might say, the uh, general equity of the judicial laws of the Old Testament and try to establish culture right? and see the, the rule of God over every sphere of life. Isn't that correct? That's right. And they did see the rule of God in every sphere of life. And they also tried to help those less fortunate, first off, with Mm. the gospel of Jesus Christ because of eternal life. And some people criticize them because they 
they may have changed the culture of some of these mm-hmm. these Indians. Well, now you've studied Indians a lot. In fact, you did a yeah. THM through Princeton on right. dealing with the Indians. So yeah, the colonial work among the Indians. What have you found regarding their culture? And was it so bad to see some of that culture changed? Not at all. Not at all. You, you wanted to see it. If you look at some of the first explorers who would come, I remember reading a, an account that Henry Hudson had of some of the Indians. And, of course, they fought amongst themselves mm-hmm. viciously. Now, he described some of the practices that they had. Which were what? Uh, well, you don't want to get too graphic. But no. they, they would torture their captives okay. in, in merciless ways. Now, the English did that, too. <laughs> you know, they had the yeah. rack and they had all, all of that. But, yes. but it even put a chill up Henry Hudson's spine wow. to see uh, some of the treatment, some of the brutality that you had with that. Another thing that they had, which if you look at the two different cultures, basically what you had was the Indians who were hunter-gatherers with some farming. The Puritans, when they came in, were farmers who did some hunting and gathering. Ah, there's the difference, And you see the difference. And, of course, the farmers are always going to do better because they're always going to have more food in these times of famine or when the game is scarce or or through the tough winters. You know, that's the thing. And a lot of these people who came to convert the Indians— Some would say, well, you're trying to make farmers of them. Well, there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. And the reason, well, there are two reasons for that. One, it was an evangelistic one. One of the 18th century individuals who did a lot with the Indians, especially some of the Iroquois, was a man by the name of Eliezer Wheelock. Any people who knows history of the Ivy League schools realize he is the founder of Dartmouth College. Ah, Well, his Moore's Charity School and his efforts to reach the Iroquois Indians, one of the things that always frustrated him was that they were on the move all the time. Yeah. You know, and how do you establish something if they've got a little village and then they keep moving and then they keep moving and they keep moving? Well, if you're chasing the deer and you're chasing the game, you, you move. Moving. Yeah. yeah. And so you really look for a situation where you're not moving quite so much, and so that way you can spread the gospel. Yeah, by learning to farm, uh, that was a real blessing to the Indians, I, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, obviously, there were some tribes in the West that were strong farmers mm-hmm. to begin with. But the Eastern Indians, they did some, mm-hmm. but they weren't as strong as, say, the, the European settlers who mm-hmm. came in. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the efforts to try to— to help convert them, and also to make their lives better, mm-hmm. you know. If you look at the eastern housing of the Indians, what you're going to find is a bark wigwams that they made. And I can only imagine in a really cold winter that they were terribly drafty and, and were not the greatest. And so the European method of building log cabins is an improvement, you know? It is. And you see different kinds of improvements here and there, which help. The musket, the earliest ones, were kind of crude, but still an improvement over the bow and arrow. I would think so, yeah. The, the bow and arrow 
kills by by bleeding, not so much by shock, mm-hmm. and you have to really practice a lot to get good with a bow and arrow. Right. Not so much with a, especially if you have a good rifle. Mm-hmm. Plus the muskets, you can load them with shot, and that's great for shooting waterfowl. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking about earlier when you're describing all these ducks. I thought, well, how do you how do you shoot the duck? Because you you really need a shot load to really do the yeah. job. The early guns had had large calibers, and many of them were smooth bore mm-hmm. and. Basically, like our shotguns with a different ignition system and without mm-hmm. being muzzle loaded instead of having shells, and mm-hmm. and so if you've got you know any kinds of little shot down there, that's the way you take down birds. <laughs> that's very interesting. Yeah, and you, I and I'm sure for these guys, they didn't feel like they had to wing shoot them if they could sneak up on them in a pond and shoot five yeah. or six with one shot on the pond, they would do it. Right. Now, all this assumes that they're not vegetarians, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got uh, maybe two minutes left today. We're talking about Thanksgiving and the Indians. And Mark Diedrich is our guest. He's studied the Indians and did a good deal of work about them. And um, there's a lot of misconceptions, I think, about the Indians. And he's addressed a couple of them today. Mark, in the last minute or so remaining, um, wisdom regarding Thanksgiving and, and us today. I think the whole thing about Thanksgiving is when you look at the pilgrims and the Puritans, the whole thing about Thanksgiving is to focus on God. What hmm. has he done for us? He sent his son to die on the cross and rise three days later that our sins could be forgiven. And when the Puritans saw that, they realized that's the most precious gift in the world. Hmm. And because of that, because they had that gift, they could be thankful in any circumstances, Mm -hmm. even in the circumstances where they had lost half their people. Mm. Now, Christians often bring up the fact of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, and sometimes it doesn't sink in how important that is. But uh, God uh, is a holy God, and even the slightest sin is a terrible offense, and it has to be paid for, right? right? It has to be paid for. But man being sinful, there's no amount of works that we can do to adequately pay for exactly the removal right. of these sins. So, so God the Father lays these sins upon his son Jesus, and he dies as a sacrifice. The, the Old Testament pointed forward to this, and the right. New Testament talks about what eventually happened with Jesus dying for the sins of his people. So it's very beautiful, and it's also appropriate in this Thanksgiving to give thanks for that right. ultimate sacrifice Absolutely. on our behalf. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. That's the greatest gift. And then when we look at all the other gifts that we have, we're living in the, in the greatest nation on earth because Christian men were the ones who really founded it, and they founded it on a Judeo-Christian ethic. Yeah. And uh, that's that's why it's the greatest nation. It may not be for much longer. For much longer, unless there's a mighty revival, and, and God that's has what mercy we pray for. Yeah, yeah, that's what we pray for all the time. Another yeah, great so. awakening. Yeah. Well, we're out of time. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark, and dear listener. We wish you a very happy Thanksgiving and a blessed Thanksgiving and that you look to God for all of your provisions. And Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.
Amen. 